that last song, talking about the stars and the galaxies singing. Teresa found a video several years ago, we watched it many times, by Louis Giglio, where he takes the sound of stars they've recorded and the sounds of whales and brought them together. And it's fascinating. So just look up on YouTube, Louis Giglio, stars, something like that, and you'll find it. It's about a nine-minute video of, of how the universe sings out to God in its own way. And, and God hears that, where well, we may not. It's a beautiful thing. So, good morning. So, we have routines at our house, and one of our routines is, is um, about the first of the year. It's not always the first, but this year it was January 1st. We took down all Christmas decorations. Oh, I didn't hear any booze. Good, good. Um, and then, but there's always this thing. We always, we always scan everything to make sure, okay, don't miss anything. I, I, we put them all in boxes. I took them out to the shed, put it up. And then she comes up with one we forgot. And interesting irony. It was a little pillow, like a little pillow you put on your couch that had poinsettias on it and the word hope. And guess what today's message is on? I meant to bring the pillow to bless you with it, but I forgot it. And here's the funny thing. In the entire gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four gospels of the life of Jesus. Only Matthew and Luke record the birth story of Jesus. But none of them talk about hope in relationship to the birth of Christ. Very interesting. Though it's a word we use this time of year to describe our emotion of the incarnation. So we're in this series, if you're visiting today, if you haven't been here the last four weeks, we're in this series of the four words that are commonly associated with Christmas. We started with peace, then we went to joy, and both of those words are very connected to the birth narrative of Jesus, but they're also connected to his resurrection we saw in John 21. Then we went to the word love. And again, love is not used in the birth stories, but it's very much connected in the connection, why did God send his son? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And the word love is often associated with the death of Jesus Christ. Hope and joy were associated with his birth and with his resurrection. So this is all stuff I've just put together, you know, knowing these four words. Today we're going to do hope. And you know what hope's associated with primarily in the New Testament? The second coming of Jesus Christ. So, but there, there's a string. I've said it many times in this series. We need to, to take this string or this rope, tie it to our concept of the incarnation, that Christ, the incarnate God, he existed from eternity, he became human. Take that string or rope and tie it all the way to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, and then to the second coming. It's a story that you cannot interrupt so the birth is directly related to all the other events in Jesus' life. And today we're going to talk about the hope we have because Christ came, we celebrate Christmas, actually points to a hope that he's coming again. So let's talk about hope. I got on just searched meaning of hope. And there's millions of posters and t-shirts on hope. Let me read a couple to you. <clears throat> hope. The feeling, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or events will turn out for the best. Okay? 
This actually could be wishful thinking. How about this one? Hope is being able to see there is light despite all the darkness. Now that would go great on a poster. Here's one that Teresa found. Hope is the feeling you have that the feeling you have is not permanent. Want me to say it again? Hope is the feeling you have Hope is the positive feeling you have that the negative feelings you have are not permanent. So do you have, do you have some negative feelings about the last 20 months of COVID? Do you have some positive feelings this year? Maybe it'll go away. What certainty do we have? Just a little bit of hope. And the hope has been diminishing over the... We've, I grew this. You know why I grew this? Almost two years ago? This was my COVID rebellion facial hair. I thought I'd keep it for a couple months. I still got it. Here's one. Here's a t-shirt. Hope is the first step towards disappointment. That's the pessimist interpretation of hope. And then one of my favorite quotes about hope from movies. This comes from those of you at 40 or older, remember this, 35 or older, from the never-ending story. The evil Gomorrah, who is the evil, man, the evil wolf in the story. He says this, people without hope are easy to control. It's very true. It's utterly true. And I saw a thing recently on discouragement and depression in young adults is up like 25, 30% over 10 years ago. And depression, suicide attempts, all these things is up a great number compared to 10 years ago, the same age group. And this is, this is a, a connection I'm making, whether or not this is the cause, we've got to be careful. The old expression, correlation is not causation. But a statistic that correlates Young adults also, in much larger numbers, are rejecting a personal God. So is there a connection? Whether, whatever your age is, that I believe in a personal God who has a purpose and plan, he's played out through Jesus Christ. If I believe that, is my hope for the future different than those who do not believe that? I would say absolutely, but I'm quite biased. So let me give you a definition of hope that's a starting definition for today. Hope looks to the fulfillment of something you desire, but is yet unfulfilled. So once it's fulfilled, it's not hope, right? Hope requires, I really desire X, but it has not come to fruition yet. Let's start with that definition. In Scripture, hope and faith go hand in hand. Regularly, hope and faith are there. And Paul throws in love. The these three are the greatest, faith, hope, and, and the greatest of these is. So, so those go together. So we don't have time to develop that. I just wanted to acknowledge that faith and hope are very connected. Also inseparable from hope is the concept of waiting. What you hope for, you wait for. Inseparable from hope is also the concept that we have minimal to no ability to accomplish what we hope for. So you got all that? That was less confidence on that one. <laughs> Let's jump in. So when I, I did a word search, 
There's two Greek words primarily used to translate in English as hope, a noun and a verb. And I searched them, and I read every one of them. There's 86 of them in the New Testament. So I read them all. And it's interesting, not seeing any connected to the birth narrative, but to the crucifixion, resurrection narrative, there was one in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to start with that. And I've titled this, Hope Dashed and Regained. Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is a wonderful story. Turn to Matthew 24. Excuse me, Luke 24. Luke 24. And these are two disciples are walking down the road after the crucifixion, and, and they are discouraged, incredibly discouraged, because their Lord has been crucified. The ushers are walking out of the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one. So Luke 24, verse 13. Let's start there. So on the road to Emmaus, the very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. These are two of the disciples. These are not the apostles. These are some others beyond the apostles' disciples, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then, so then one of them named Cleopas answered him, and, and put in this the sadness of Cleopas with the bewilderment that Jesus doesn't know what's going on. They don't know it's Jesus, obviously. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But here it is, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. That's interesting. Their hope was in the right person. But they misunderstood what that person was doing. Because when they thought of redeeming Israel, what are they thinking? To them, what does it mean for the Messiah to come to redeem Israel? It's it to deliver them from Rome. Israel has been under foreign domination for seven, eight hundred years, and they want out. They want freedom. Messiah is going to deliver us. But Rome and the Jewish leaders, their own leaders, murdered this Messiah. So their hope was in the right person, but misunderstood what the person was doing. Let's finish the story. Let's drop down to verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is the best Bible study in history. Right here. As Jesus, who ultimately is the author of scripture, explains to him all that, by the scripture it means the Old Testament. 
New Testament's not even written yet. Not one word's written yet when, when Jesus said these things. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is to, towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Whom he, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So interesting that their eyes had not been able to recognize. So it's one of those things. Is, does Jesus, is he a shapeshifter and can transform how he looked? Or simply has the ability to not have people recognize him? Which is, I think, what happened here. But then when he broke the bread, which is what he did in the night he was betrayed at communion, their eyes are opened. He disappears. So now their hope is back. And they run and tell the disciples, the apostles, we've seen him. So their hope was in the right person, but they misunderstood what that person was doing. The crucified and resurrected Jesus is the right person to hope in. But we must hope in the truth of his plan, not what we want his plan to be. Okay, it's very important to grasp the difference. He is our hope. But we must hope in what he has planned, not in what we want him to do our plans. I heard this years ago. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of this. Do you want to hear God laugh? Tell him your plans. And that's what these guys had a plan. Jesus didn't meet their plans. Jesus came to redeem Israel and all humanity. And he did. It just wasn't to redeem them from Roman oppression. It was to redeem them from the oppression of their sin. But there's a day coming that's yet future called the second coming of Christ, when he comes to fulfill their original desire, where Jesus comes as the king to redeem his people from oppression of all evil in Rome, all government evil, and Jesus sets up his kingdom, of which then salvation will be complete. That is what we're looking for. That is where our hope is. So let's look at the foundation of Christian hope, and that foundation is God himself. Listen to Psalm 71, verses 4 to 6. Lots of psalms on this. Lots of psalms that say these exact words. So, so this is David. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. In Hebrew parallelism, when it says, you, O Lord, are my hope, and then it says, my trust, O Lord, from my youth, it, 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 the word Hope and trust are parallel. They're synonymous here. And, and that to hope in God is to trust in God. But he is our hope. He is the one in whom we trust. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. And you are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. God must be our hope. Not what God can do for us. Please, we need to establish this point before we move on to see what he's going to do for us in the future. So remember, he's our hope. Here's how one scholar put it. The essence of New Testament hope is given decisive shape by several factors. First, hope is never egocentric. 
And you wordsmiths, what does that mean? It's never about us. Hope is never about us. But always focused on Christ and on God. Its heart is not the blessing of the individual, but the universal kingly rule of God, who will be all in all. So let's establish that now, that our hope is in the Lord. And and the Bible talks about hope in relationship to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So we have this triune God who is the object of our hope. So let, let me tell you what I want to communicate today. First and foremost, hope is the person of God. Second, hope is the result of a relationship. Let's be very important to understand, remember, I did a sermon on this a couple months ago. Our salvation is a relationship. We enter into a relationship with the living God. And so in this relationship, I'm hoping in my Savior and my God. Hope is the result of relationship. And that relationship is supposed to be the end goal, not what we can get from that relationship. This hope does not result in what our God is going to do for us. Excuse me, this hope does result, I know I read that wrong, in what our God is going to do for us. Let's talk about that now. So I want to transition, this is very important. If I mess that up, erase the last 10 seconds. Our our hope is in a person, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, our one God, three persons. But then he has redeemed us, and he has a plan for us, and he's going to do some amazing things in the future for us. And we need to hope in those things. But let's remember, we don't enter into relationship with God for what we get out of it. We have this relationship with God because he is God and his deep love for you. Can you see the difference? It's important to keep that thought. There's a line in there where it goes from, God, I'm hoping in you and I need this. I want that. Please. And that's okay. But as long as we understand that our request is based upon our relationship with him. So the primary event of Christian hope is our full salvation at the second coming. As I look through it, of the 68 times hope is talked about in the New Testament, 58 of them are in Paul. Excuse me, of the 86 times, did I say 68? 86 times, 58 of them are in Paul. Paul develops what hope is. And a good percentage of those are hope of the second coming of Christ. He talks about it in different ways. He talks about it as the the hope of the glory of God, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the coming Messiah. Listen to Titus 2.13. For we are waiting for our blessed hope. And what is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming to finish what he started in us. There's a promise in Philippians chapter 1. There's a promise in several places in the Bible that God started a work in you and he will complete it. It's not completed yet. It won't be completed until your body is raised from the dead. Then it will be complete. So what I want to do is I want to go back and revisit a sermon we did six years ago, six months ago. I wasn't even here six years ago. We spent a couple months in the book of Romans, about 14. And Romans 5 introduces the concept of hope. And I want to revisit that in light of especially this struggle of a year we've had. Two years. So let's revisit Romans 5, 1 through 5. So open your Bibles there. It'll be on the screen. But I love it when you open your Bibles or turn your phone on or your iPad or however you access it. Romans 5, 1. 
Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And look at this. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what is the glory of God? He's actually going to define that in chapter 8. So we're going to do this really quick survey. You've got to stay with me. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. End of verse 2. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's just stop there for a moment. I rejoice in my suffering, Paul says, because my suffering produces perseverance. Can you agree to that? Okay. Then my perseverance produces, no, excuse me. Did I do that right? Endurance, perseverance. And that perseverance produces character. What would be one of the primary characters suffering produces? Because you endured it. Patience, absolutely patience. Anything else? Say again. Perseverance, humility. Why humility? Because humility reminds me I can't control anything. So who, who, who does control it? Okay, so we're going to get back to this character thing. So suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I would suggest to you that the common... End result of much of our suffering today, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, is not hope. It's discouragement, even despair. As a pastor, I hear it all the time. Of the hard lives we have, why is God not making it easier? So do we really believe to the point of rejoicing in our pain in life? Because it produces an endurance that produces a Christ-like character, which we'll get to in chapter 8. Which that then, the development of that character in me says, there's hope. Something has gone wrong in that chain from suffering to endurance to character to hope. That ends up producing discouragement, even despair. And that's what we have to figure out today. So, would you agree life can be hard? Let me give to you this little caveat of Paul's day that he wrote this in. Okay? So you understand Paul's life of hard life and the people that Paul's writing to. The life expectancy in the Roman Empire in the first century was 35 to 40 years old. So most of you would be long dead. Approximately half of the Roman subjects died by the age of five. Many more died by the time they were ten. Those that were still alive at ten, half of those would die by the age of 50. So if you have four children, two wouldn't make it past their fifth birthday. And good chance one of the other two wouldn't make it to adulthood. Now, that's not normal today. I'm not suggesting today we don't have hard times. We, we only know the context we live in. Let's remember, Paul is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings in a world that was rampant with suffering. 
So, and I don't want to turn this into a sermon about me, but six years ago, I had a bacterial infection took over my body, and I had to have brain surgery. I would be dead if it wasn't for modern medicine. This last summer, I had prostate cancer. I'd still be alive if they removed it, but it would be the beginning of an end without the ability to remove it. Teresa's not going to like this, but in a few weeks, she's going to have her rotator cuff repaired in surgery. In Paul's day, the bacterial infection would have taken me out, the prostate cancer would take me out, and they wouldn't even know what happened because they had no concept of prostate cancer. And Teresa would have to live the rest of her life with the inability to raise her arm without great pain. So do we not live in a great time? And everyone in this room could list things of modern medicine that's wonderful compared to, I see Wendy rubbing Frank's shoulder back there who's had a, a, a kidney, excuse me, a um, liver transplant. The hope that comes from suffering, endurance, and character is not wishful thinking. There is a certainty to this hope because of who is promising. And it's not about whether I get brain surgery or cancer is removed or Teresa has successful surgery. It's about something much more permanent than that. Because, this is where I get morbid, the bacterial infection in my brain didn't take me out, the cancer didn't take me out, but guess what? Something's gonna take me out. And this is where I, I, I remember teaching young adults, I don't know if you guys remember this when I was teaching the Bible study, but this summer, but I told them, oh, I have, statistically speaking, 18 more years to live. Did you guys kind of think that was morbid? Yeah, a little bit. And I told them they only have got about 55 more years to live. Statistically speaking, 81-year-old white male, that's it. What am I going to do in that time? It could be filled with blessing. It could be filled with hardship. But there's a hope, no matter what my life is like till the day I die, that I can have phenomenal hope because it transcends my life on this earth. It's not wishful thinking. It reminds you the definition of hope. Hope looks to the fulfillment of something you desire, but is yet unfulfilled. In Romans, our desire is that our suffering has purpose. The question is, who is responsible for fulfilling your desires? And that's where it comes down to who or what is your hope. If your hope is something God will do for you, like he's a distributor of benefits, you're going to be disappointed. But if your hope is in God himself and his plan for you, then there's great expectation of fulfillment of this hope. So now, Romans 5 has this thing. Then all of a sudden, it talks about your suffering and, and it produces endurance, character, and hope. And then in, in the next verse, it starts to develop the doctrine of salvation. One of the most in-depth sections from Romans chapter 5, verse 6 to Romans chapter 8, verse 17, is Paul's presentation of our salvation. And it's an amazingly detailed, deep theology of what God has done for you and me. And often we take it out of its context to teach it as this impersonal, systematic theology and forget its context is God's certainty of your salvation is in the middle of life is hard and I'm suffering. Is this, is, is, is there, God has a purpose in my suffering. So now, I'm not going to survey, I did about 10 sermons on that section. We're going to jump to verse, chapter 8, verse 18, to look where Paul comes back to suffering. So what does suffering produce? 
And perseverance produces? And character produces? Let's jump to 8.18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Remember what Paul said in 5.2? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But let's talk about suffering first. Now he gets back to suffering, but whatever suffering I'm going through is not worthy to be compared to this future glory. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Let me unpack that as quick as I can. Do you understand that humanity, starting with Adam and Eve, were made to have dominion over the creation? That dominion wasn't to abuse it. It was to to take care of creation. And Adam and Eve were God's vice regents on earth to take care of creation. And what did Adam and Eve do? They turned their back on God and gave it to Satan. So Satan is now the God of this world. And the creation is suffering greatly because of human sin and the ministry of Satan. But it says here that creation groans eagerly, waiting. It, It personifies creation as in hope. Waiting for something to happen. What is it waiting to happen? For the revealing of the sons of God. What is that? By the way, ladies, sons doesn't exclude you. Sons refers to heirs. In Roman culture, only men were heirs. So it's calling all believers sons. We're all heirs. So let's jump to verse 23. Not only the creation is waiting eagerly, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly Remember, hope involves waiting. Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what is the end goal? What is the the final thing we're waiting for in hope? Our full redemption, our full adoption, and that is our new bodies. Do you understand that you are fully, now let me say this one. Do you understand that you are a new creation in Christ? The old is gone, new has come. You've been transferred from darkness to light. You've taken from the kingdom of the devil to the kingdom of the beloved son. There's all these things. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says you are a new creation. The old is gone, behold, new has come. Something amazing has happened in us. But it's in our spirit, it's in our soul, it's in our heart. Whatever word you want to use, something something non-physical in me is new. And the spirit of God dwells there. And empowers me to live a life that honors him. But what's going on with his body? Well, mine gets brain problems, prostate cancer, shoulder problems. What, what's yours get? You guys are all healthy, no problems? That's good. Not to mention the temptations of evil this body wants. We all, and whether we want, I'm going I'm to ask you your sins, okay? Will you tell me them? I'm not telling you mine either, but you know them because mine are the same as yours. And it's the cravings of this body. Even Paul says in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wicked man that I am, who redeemed me from this dead body? Waiting for that resurrection. When Christ comes and, and makes his body like his own, that is our hope. Verse 24. Number 23 is our 
final adoption as sons. We, we are the children of God now, but it's not final until Christ returns and our bodies are redeemed. Then we are fully adopted children. For in this hope, the hope for that day, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This, this begs the question, what are you waiting for? I, I wonder, and I, I can make this personal about me again. I can't say that I spend a lot of my day waiting for that day when he makes my body new so I no longer have the physical sufferings and pains. I no longer have the sinful temptations that come from the passions of this body. I think more about, huh, how's my investments doing? You know? I think more about temporal things. And say, God, oh God, please bless these things. Nothing wrong with that ultimately. But if, if most of my energy is on temporal blessings and not on that permanent final one, the hope of the second coming, then I have a feeling disappointment's gonna be a normal part of my life. So the t-shirt, hope is the first step towards disappointment, will be true if I don't put my hope where it belongs. We'll talk in a minute about big age hope, the second coming, and little age hope, daily life. But Paul goes on. He comes back now to suffering. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because it's your physical weakness that is the result of so much suffering. Remember, this is the Spirit who loves us and poured into our hearts from Romans chapter 5, verse 5. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, our sufferings can get so bad, we don't even know how to talk to God about it. Anyone ever been there? You just, oh God, I don't even know what to say. Help me. Help me. The Spirit takes those groanings to God and puts words to them of truth. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. So the Father knows his own Spirit, what he's saying. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you can't pray and you just call out to God in pain, the Spirit takes that and translates it into the will of God in prayers for you. And what is the will of God for you? And we know that for those who love God, this is our famous verse that we talk about suffering. We know those who love God, all things work together for good. For all of, so let's stop there. All things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. I, I don't want to play lightly with this, so I, I hope you hear the seriousness of me. I'm not playing lightly. In Paul's day, if you had four children, two died before the age of five. In what possible way could that work for good? If you've lost a child, parents aren't supposed to bury their children. When my sister committed suicide in 1981, excuse me, 1988, my parents never got over it, ever. And they could never see. Um, my mother knew the Lord, my dad didn't. Um, they could never see any good coming from that. What possible good could come from burying your child? So what in the world is Paul saying here? 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What is the good that will come out of things we cannot see in this life could possibly have any good whatsoever? Do you feel the tension? For those who love God are called according to his purpose. Well, that begs the question. What's his purpose? Verse 29, our last verse. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What's the purpose of God in your life? The end purpose of God in your life today and every day until the day you're put into the ground or till Jesus comes back is he's working the character of his son in you. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, Christ's character. You're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in everything that happens to you. And with eyes to see this, even something as horrendous as burying a child, in the end, will develop something in you to where you have more of Christ's character. I'm not sure anything in this life we could call good that comes from that, that's, that's worth that pain. But on that day when we are conformed fully to the image of Jesus Christ, and we'll look back, we'll say the sufferings of this life were not worthy to be compared to the glory we now have resurrected in glory with Jesus Christ. And that's a hope we have. How certain is that hope? How certain is that hope that Jesus is coming again to fully redeem you? Thank you. I was going to have to say it again. <laughs> Let me summarize this and then we're going to do more. We have currently been partially redeemed and made new, but our bodies are still dying, a source of so much struggle and pain in our lives. We wait eagerly for that day when Christ returns and finishes what he started. That is, he will redeem our bodies to be just like his. Our adoption will be complete and will be just like our big brother, since he's going to be the firstborn of many redeemed people, Jesus. From now until that time, God is working his purpose in us, and that purpose is conforming us to the character of his son. Remember that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Christ's character, and as we grow in Christ-likeness, there's this hope. He's going to finish the job someday. I can endure whatever's thrown at me, and that hope will not disappoint. So all through Paul's writings, this is what he means when he says the hope of the glory of God, the hope of eternal life, the hope of the resurrection, hope in Jesus coming again. These are all quotes from Paul's writings. Hope in our Lord, Je hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this, Jesus Christ is our hope. Coming back to the beginning, the Lord himself is our hope, the person we have a relationship with. Now let's just spend a few minutes here to end this on the difference between big capital H hope, the second coming in our resurrection, and lower H, lowercase h hope. Did I say that right? Can we not have a measure of hope in things our lives today prior to the second coming? Can we have some hope that maybe God will make our lives healthier? Do you pray for that? I would suggest to you that the overwhelming majority of prayer requests we get are about health. We have this very optimistic human life as Americans 
that God kind of owes us health and pain-free. Um, it's not true, but yet we ask. Hope for a better job. Financial stability. The stock market stunk the last couple weeks. Was it supposed to? It was supposed to be good. We hope our children grow up to be good citizens and follow Jesus. We hope COVID ends very soon. We hope our country gets on the right track. And I know we can argue about what the right track is. I have my strong conviction what the right track is. Are any of these guaranteed? Not one of them. I can get very unhealthy tomorrow. The elders can decide there's a better job somewhere else for me. It's a joke, guys. Come on, elders. <laughs> my retirement account can take a total dive because of the stock market. My children can come to be some dad and say, Dad, I'm not buying this Jesus stuff anymore. I'm out of here. And COVID could go on and on and on. Life is tough, is it not? I, I want us to acknowledge that. I, want to, I, don't want, I don't want to say, oh, let's quit being sissies. I want us to have this hope that God cares about our lives. And he does. And he wants us to bring every request to him. Matt, read Matthew 6 today if you don't believe that. Matthew 6 says to take every request to Jesus. He cares about every detail of your life. But remember, what I think is a good life is not necessarily what he is going to grant to me because his idea of a good life is being conformed to his image. And sometimes hardship is needed. But nonetheless, he cares. But let's get some perspective. And we'll end on this sober note. I'm just going to read this to you. I found this. I've, I've modified it a little. For a small amount of perspective at this moment, this COVID two years in now, imagine you were born in the year 1900. My grandfather was born about that time. He doesn't really know. Um, he didn't really know the year he was born because he was raised in an orphanage, and the orphanage burned down and took his records with it. One of those stories. Nonetheless, he, he was born about 1900. You were born 1900. When you were 14, World War I starts and ends on your 18th birthday with 22 million people killed. Later in the year, the Spanish flu epidemic hits the planet and runs until you are 20, two years. 50 million people die from it in those two years. Let's get a perspective here. There was less than two billion people on Earth then, and 50 million people died. We now have pushing 8 billion people, 7.7, .7, I looked this morning. And we have had 5 million people die from COVID. I'm not making light of that. Just, these are statistics. If you compare that to the 50 million of less than 2 billion and made it a similar statistic, that would mean, I wrote it down, 200 million people would have died from COVID. Not 5 million. That'd be equal to the Spanish flu would died. Does it make sense to you? That this was a horrible time to be alive. So that's when you're 25. When you're 29, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%. Global domestic product drops 27%. That runs until you're 33. 
The country nearly collapses along with the world economy. When you turn 39, World War II starts. You aren't even over the hill yet. When you're 41, the United States is fully pulled into World War II. Between your 39th and 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in the war, and the Holocaust kills 6 million more of Jewish people, not to mention millions of others. At 52, the Korean War starts and 5 million perish. At 64, the Vietnam War begins, and it doesn't end for many years. 4 million people die in that conflict. Approaching your 67th, 62nd birthday, I just turned 63 last month, you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, a tipping point in the Cold War. Life on our planet as we know it could have well ended, but some great leaders prevented that from happening. As you turn 75, the Vietnam War finally ends. Think of everyone on the planet born in 1900. How do you survive all of that? How do you gain an optimism or keep a hope? A child in 1985, let's just, you know, let's call it a high schooler, didn't think their 85-year-old grandfather, because 1985, this person's 85 years old now, didn't think their 85-year-old grandfather understood how difficult their life was. And by the way, if you're a teenager, we, we were all there, every one of us, not picking on you. Yet those grandparents, and now great-grandparents, survived through everything listed above. So proper perspective brings an amazing result. Let's keep, keep things in perspective today. I'm not saying, oh, it's nothing, deal with it. That'd be insulting. Um, I'm so sick of this COVID. But I, I have a, a high optimism. 2022 is going to be a great year. And not, not because I think COVID's going away. I don't know. It's going to be a great year because Jesus Christ is on the throne. Jesus Christ has put his spirit within me and has called me to have a purpose every day I wake up. And that purpose can be accomplished with COVID or no COVID, with brain, brain problems and cancer and shoulder problems. It doesn't matter. Th th those are the context by which I carry out faithfulness in serving Jesus Christ and loving you and you loving me and one another. In the history of the world, there's never been a storm that has lasted. They always pass. So until this one passes, let's be found faithful. We won't regret it. So listen to the words of 1 Peter. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, that's what I just described, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this future hope we have that's absolutely certain. We don't know when. Anything about that, Lord, you tell us no one knows when it is. We're just to get busy serving and accomplishing your purposes. We thank you, though, the certainty of that day. And Lord, we would pray that last prayer of the Bible at the end of Revelation 22. Come, Lord Jesus. Come fulfill your plan. But until that day, Lord, we want to be found faithful. Thank you for your patience with us as we, as we sometimes fall off the path and sin. Thank you for your patience with us as sometimes maybe we whine more than 
is called for. But thank you, Lord, in this context that you've empowered us by your spirit to live a life that honors you, to be faithful. Thank you for that. Help us to grab hold of that for your glory. All because of Jesus, in his name, amen.